Blog Talk Radio. It's July 30th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and Dave Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember that good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone enjoyed this past week and that you had a lot of fun and stayed safe. Uh, Having said that, we have an editorial comment. Allow me to begin. At a time when anti-union sentiment is high and union membership numbers are very low, Team Working for a Living Caucus is once again saddened by the second notice in 2017, the first being January 9th and the second being July 26th, that the Department of Justice has had to make indictment announcements involving auto-related health or education benefit monies. Union members across our country simply deserve better. While we are firm in our belief that our union, the UAW, is filled with many ethical and capable representatives, We also know that pockets of totalitarianism not only exist, but are being reinforced. Such a totalitarian mindset of, quote, we can do anything to anyone at any time, even when illegal, and do that with impunity, end quote, is the very environment that gives rise to these resultant indictments. Team Working for a Living Caucus is a group of very capable and brave UAW members who have listened to and clearly heard the rank-and-file membership's resounding calls to correct such inappropriate behaviors and return the word union to its rightful place of respectability. Thank you for listening to that editorial comment. We'll go on to the announcements. First announcement, remember the team working for a living supports Medicare for everyone. If you remove the cap on Social Security, you bring into the mix of who's paying for the government the one percenters who control 95% of the money. Unfortunately, us 99 percenters who only control 5% of the money are being asked to pay for everything. And that simply needs to change. 
that's why our country's in the situation that it's in. Announcement number two, team working for a living continues to oppose the Working Families Flexibility Act. Announcement number three, team working for a living continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan building trades against the legislation introduced to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage. Announcement number four, and this is a call to action item, so please pay attention. The Department of Labor is seeking comments on the stalled overtime rule. It was supposed to go into effect in January of 16, and it did not. The rule will nearly double the wage amount for workers to receive overtime. In other words, a threshold for how much money you make in order to get overtime. And if that's raised, people making more money will get overtime pay. In other words, if you're making $40,000 a year if, as a salary or hourly uh, person, then you uh, would get overtime. This raises that to a larger number, almost double, to get overtime. Okay? Thus helping many workers. The powerful American Bankers Association stalled this bill in 2016. Again, comments made favoring this bill will help thousands of workers to become eligible for overtime. To find out how to comment, pay attention now or come back and listen to it over again, please Google the words. The Labor Department seeks comments on stalled overtime rule. Speaking in favor of it will help people, more people, be eligible for overtime. And we ask you to, you know, to do this. Be good for a lot of people. And they may be uh, non, you know, obviously non-union people, so we're sticking up for everybody, as we're supposed to do, our brothers and sisters. They're maybe non-union. Uh, number, number five, a company in Wisconsin is testing the placement of chip implants, implants into the hands of employees, ostensibly to make it fin financial, to make fi all financial transactions with these volunteers easier. It seems to also give the company extraordinary tracking and monitoring abilities. This is very troubling to a lot of people, and we heard a lot of comment on that as well. Uh, announcement number six, there's another recall. Ford has recalled 117,000 vehicles with seat belt bolt defects. Announcement number seven, the Alphonse Icobelli indicted last week reportedly no longer works at FCA but is now employed by General Motors, at least at last notice. Announcement number eight. We would like to thank Senators John McCain of Arizona, Senator Susan Collins of Maine, and Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska for helping to protect health care for 2020. 2 million people, and let's put a face on that to include both of my next-door neighbors. A lot of people were about to lose their health care, so thank you to those brave senators 
who happened to have an R behind their name that did the right thing. And thank you to Senator John McCain for his wonderful speech requesting this is a man with brain cancer that might not have too much longer to live, requesting that we get back to regular order in Congress. Thank you, Senator John McCain, and thank you for all of your service, military and governmental, to this country. Announcement number nine, also in a related item, on the evening of Thursday, July 27, 2017, the United States House of Representatives went into martial law status. That gave the majority party complete ability to set the agenda of any and all items within the House, to include any bill having been passed by the Senate that could have been immediately passed that night by the awaiting representatives and sent to the pres- President for his signature. That's how close this got, brothers and sisters, listeners. This action should be very, very, very disturbing to every citizen of the United States who holds the best interest of our largely democratic republic in mind. This this has never been done in my lifetime, and I've asked some older politicians from high-level attorney happened to have lunch with earlier today. And that person said, no, they'd never seen it in their lifetime. And they're clearly 30 years older than I am. So uh, onward to email. We had many messages and emails expressing disgust at these latest indictments. Brothers and sisters, this needs to stop. And there's ways to make it stop, and we'll talk about that later in the show. Now, email number two. Thank you for your tribute to Teresa Dodge. It was emotional. This was one of many emails and messages from across the country. And email number three, thanks for remembering Donna Christmas of Louisville. Several members from Kentucky uh, asked, uh, sent that message to us, and we were honored to and, and pleased to uh, remember both of those distinguished women. Uh, so we're, we're happy to do that when we can, especially when it's uh, untimely and premature. Uh uh, email number four, Leroy gave us a tip on the work page, and I said I'd give you a tip last show. Uh, that wasn't part of the email. Uh, was it that gray line at the bottom from EM in Missouri? The gray line at the bottom was the tip, uh, so that you know uh, this is not uh, any, as it said in the... the uh, um, message on the page. This is not in any way investment advice, uh, but that line represents the line coming from 1932 through all of the subsequent lows in an algorithmic chart. Now, that probably doesn't mean much to anybody, but that line 
uh, is there, and there's one across the top uh, and across the last some 80-some years, 85 years. We have bounced from the bottom to the top to the bottom to the top, and the last bounce was at the top, and we've yet to bounce off the bottom. And, of course, those lines from 1998 through 2007 sort of point there, and you can see and do some little math or calculations on your own. After we do touch that, in my opinion, it'd be free to go back to the top. The top line in an algorithmic form is near 40,000 now. So uh, know that there's hope after what, what's about to come, in my opinion. Uh, I hope that uh, explains the tip on that page. Again, that's not in any way advice. Find something from your own counselor to work for your own personal circumstances. Um, next up, we have worker uh, this week in worker news, but first we have this week's quote. And in light of uh, last week's activity, we have two quotes for you this evening. First of all, bad things can happen and often do, but they only take up a few pages of your story, and anyone can survive a few pages. James A. Owen said that. Our second quote, in light of the bad news that we had last week, second quote is, sometimes bad things have to happen before good things can. Becca Fitzpatrick was quoted as saying that. Thank you to both of those distinguished people that we've quoted this evening. Uh, your quotes certainly have a lot of timeliness regarding our situation uh, within our organization. Uh, let's bring on the, uh, the co-hosts. Uh, first, we'll get a hold of uh, Jeff Brown. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good, Roy. How are you? Pretty good. You know, it's been an interesting week <laughs> around here. Very busy. Uh, and yeah. uh, as you know, uh, it's uh, been uh, pretty uh, saddening, too, you know, to see what's going on. Uh, so uh, how, how are things in your end? Uh, we're doing good. Um, you hit right on the head that last week was very busy, both in D.C. and downtown Detroit. Um, I think it's only going to get a little bit worse for a while. But let's, let's pay attention and see how it goes. Right. Okay. I think David's here. David, how are you? How are you guys doing tonight? I did. Right. Well, pretty, pretty good, Dave. You know, I mean, it's been a little dis distressing. You know, we've had some good things happen. We try to make lemons out of lemonade. Uh, you know, if you uh, check out our uh, Working for a Living page, uh, we had some real interesting activity there. Um, and, you know, there there truly are some uh, a lot of good people in our organization, capable and, and ethical. So we, you know, we want to acknowledge all of those people and say thank you for everything you do every day on behalf of the membership, and not for your own interest, but in the interest of the membership so that they benefit, not you personally. So uh, 
also it, it's probably appropriate to say that you know our our caucus uh has been uh avoiding anyone with uh, a violent nature or purporting violence we have been avoiding anyone that's uh in violation of five, section 504 National Labor Relations Act and that prohibits anybody from being in office so we're we're sort of avoiding those folks and uh we've refused and continue to refuse the offers uh of fundraising and monies from outside interests our caucus is not for sale our union is not for sale to some entertainer not for sale and those out there that are attempting to aspire to leadership that have the interest of their fundraising at heart uh, should be really taking a, a take a good hard second look at at uh, those folks because uh, do you really want to have a group of folks that are beholding to entertainers in charge of our union? <laughs> I don't think so. So that's this person's opinion. Um, as you're making your decisions on on who best to follow, uh, none of us are perfect, for sure. But we aspire to do the very best for you. We aspire to bring you the best and hold companies accountable for your best interest. And to clean up stuff that's going on that we talked about and, and I talked about in the opinion. So uh, well, that's that's enough said before the reports. So uh, having said that, uh, Jeff, do you have a, a report for the listeners this evening? Yeah, i got a short report, not very long. Um, okay. For the sec- second week in a row, there has been marijuana discovered inside vehicles coming from Mexico, or vehicles. Um, last week, or two weeks ago, marijuana was found in the spare tire container in the cars. This past week, 277 pounds of marijuana were found on Wednesday in rail cars. Those cars were coming from Mexican plants at um, Hiroshima and Sonora. Now, these cars are for infusions. They are made down there. Um, they were found inside the rail cars itself, not inside the automobiles. They searched 200 vehicles, and they all tested positive for marijuana. I'm taking this information off Channel 4 uh, newscast. Um, the employees contacted the plant managers, who then called the police to investigate it. Um, articles found, authorities found marijuana were 
$1 million hidden in Trump's old fusions. That's kind of not saying what he did earlier, but either way, that's a lot of marijuana. And I'm happy for the, the guys and gals who discovered it and notified the authorities. This railroad yard is located right across the street from the Flat Rock Assembly plant I work. Um, it's also the same location where several Mustang GTs were stolen from a couple weeks ago. Um, it's very easy to get in and out of. Um, so that's a lot of, a lot of marijuana that was seized. And hopefully we won't see any more coming in from Mexico. But this is um, getting crazier and crazier by, by the week, it seems. So that's my report, Leroy. Um Okay, Jeff. Uh, let me. I I got a couple questions for you. Uh, have they gotten any information on the originating point of these vehicles? I mean, obviously some fo- uh, Ford Focus plant in Mexico, but is there any any thoughts on where these originated from and who might have been packing this in these cars? No, I have not seen anything in any of the. This is the I've read. Okay. Um, is, let me ask you another question. Is is there any uh, thought on who might have been re- uh, responsible to pick these um, bags or, you know, things of marijuana out of these cars and take them wherever they were intended to go for the, the you know, whoever, whatever organization uh, is uh, in charge of picking up marijuana out of Ford Focuses in the United States? Is any any thought on who might have sp- supposed to have been picking that up, and if no action on them yet, or is there any any thoughts on that at all? I have been looks researching. I have not found anything. Okay. If there is, right. the the uh, authorities have not released that information. Okay, I got one more question. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, we we live in Michigan, and pretty much. Anybody that wants a medical marijuana card or become a, a provider, as long as you don't have some sort of really bad background, you can get that and uh, freely, you know, uh, entertain yourself or use it for um, medicinal purposes, marijuana. Uh, it, it's pretty free around. Uh, they even have little hookah lounges, they call them. Uh, so that you can go and socialize with your your friendly um, patients for medical marijuana. Uh, uh, given that, is, is this some sort of special marijuana that they're sending up? You think maybe it might be laced with heroin or anything like that? Because I see that there's some problem with heroin, uh, and we'll, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but do you think maybe there's you know, this is some kind of special marijuana or is there any thought on that at all, other than my question? It it may be. Um, I have to uh, say that uh, I have been near people who smoke marijuana now um, for medical reasons and what have you. Right. Sure. And and I got to tell you, it, it's 
I don't remember smelling like that when I was in high school. This has a whole new smell to it. It smells like a skunk. And you can uh, you can smell it from a distance. Um, when somebody goes in the bathroom who smokes it, um, and they walk out, and you walk in four or five minutes later, uh, you can smell it just from them being inside the bathroom. You know, not, they're not smoking in the bathroom, but you can smell it. They leave a distinct odor. And where I live, I can smell it inside my apartment, um, which really disturbs me because it does smell like a skunk. You know, it just not what I remember in high school. You know, um, not that I smoked a lot, but I did try it back in high school. Yeah. I think everybody has. Um, yeah. But yeah. who knows? You know, it's, it could be a lot of different things. The authorities are just not making any comments right now. Okay. I, I, I just wanted to ask those questions because, I mean, it seems obvious that they need to be asked. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, given life, that there's so much of it here, why would you want to send any here? So I'm kind of just curious. They probably know more than they're, they're telling us, and, you know, rightfully so. We shouldn't know everything the police are doing, uh, and that and that's probably a good thing. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, given uh, the, you know, I know you mentioned they're smoking it in your, you know, your building there and stuff like that. You know, our, our our friend that we had on the show a couple times, uh, Jeff Hank, uh, and, of course, he held the, uh, he was hosting the May Day rally that we were invited to and uh, to speak at. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he has, here in the Lansing, in the city of Lansing area, uh, he has uh, uh, gathered signatures for a petition, uh, and it, it deals with that. Uh, getting it out of the neighborhoods so that if you, you know, have somebody smoking in your neighborhood, uh, th- that's a problem. Uh, we, He and I had had discussion about these hookah lounges, and I told him I'm kind of a fan of them right now because they seem to be, you know, getting them out of the neighborhood, and I kind of like that. Uh, anybody I've talked to is, is liking that idea. So that's part of this uh, uh, petition that – yeah, that he has presented to the city to get it out of the neighborhoods, and his intention is to get that uh, statewide as well, and he's in a signature-gathering process for that also now. So just mm-hmm. know there's some, you know, there's some movement in a positive way to get that out of the, out of the, you know, the res- residents so that it's not obnoxious, or not a noxious odor to somebody wanting to, you know, live in undisturbed peace. So this, uh, just know that's out there as well. We have he's a good guy and he really really listens and they've uh, formulated some things that are really nice in this new uh, petition that he's put out. So kudos to our friend Jeff Hank for that. And I uh, hope everybody yep, listening. He's a good man. Yep, decent decent fellow. You've met him personally and uh, he's uh, uh, he's he's doing some really good things. Not just that he's working on yep. the ability to petition ability at the state level. They they had some issues there, mm-hmm. and he's he's actually trying to correct that, and that'll help unions in the future because it's really uh, you know, hamstringing us. us. So, uh, Dave, do you have any questions for Jeff? 
No, no questions. Just um, last week, um, I believe it was last week, Jeff Sessions, the United States Attorney General, um, rolled back um, laws that were enacted by Barack Obama that um, prohibited um, law enforcement agencies from seizure. <clears throat> they wouldn't be able to take um, a person's um, home or their personal possessions. Um, we're back to the time again now where law enforcement may um, seize your assets without even charges being brought against you. And before you can clear yourself, um, your assets have already been sold, and yeah. you don't recoup. And, um, and this is possibly, possession of, of this marijuana? Is, is that what you're talking about? Uh, um, marijuana is still a Schedule One narcotic, and I think that in the future we're going to be seeing um, dispensaries and medical marijuana states come under the scrutiny of the United States Attorney General's office and possibly um, forfeiture of a lot of people's assets. Um, maybe this is the message to him that prohibition really doesn't work in seizing people's private property um, without charge. Probably isn't in the best interest of the American people. And you should be looking at the real source of where drugs come from, um, heroin, opiates, and marijuana as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't have any more questions for for Jeff. I think you did a nice report. Jeff, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Uh, David, uh, I know you have an interesting report for listeners tonight. You want to go ahead and go forward with that? Yeah. Um, Walt Disney Company's 38,000 union workers in Florida are seeking to reopen wage talks. Um, their last contract, um, they negotiated a minimum of $10 an hour. The uh, talks are scheduled to begin August 28th. Ed Chambers will sit across the table from management. Um, he's the president of the Workers' Service Trade Council Union. Um, they uh, signed a five-and-a-half-year contract in 2014 that allowed workers to reopen wage talks this year. Both sides have until October to reach an agreement on pay, or the entire contract could be reopened, including pension and health benefits. Um, Chambers has made a statement that he expects to get far more than the old 25 to 35 cent raises from the past. Um, Walt Disney World Resort um, is the largest theme park complex in the world with four parks and 27,000 or 27 hotels on 25,000 acres. Um, it's Orlando's largest employer with some 74,000 workers. We're pretty close to 40% of the company's total. Um, this company recently added 1,500 jobs to staff 
the new Avatar attraction at its Animal Kingdom park. Um, so that's a little bit um, of information on the Union side. Um, let's look at Holby sitting across the table. I need to get this to reload for me. There we go. Robert Iger um, is the CEO currently of Disney Company. Um, in uh, 2016, his uh, compensation was $43.9 million. That's about a million less than his total compensation from a year prior in 15. Um, these are public filings with the SEC. Um, the breakdown on his uh, package in 16 um, is built upon 2.5 million in base salary, stock awards and options worth 17.2 million, and a 20 million dollar incentive pay plan, plan, pay, or plan payment. Um, and uh, working along. With him, other top executives at the company um, saw their their pay jump as well in uh, 16. With general counsel Alan Braverman increasing from 10.7 million to 11.1 million, chief strategy officer Kevin Mayer jump bumping from 8 million to 10.1 million, and Christine McCarthy promoted to become the company's first woman chief financial officer. In 15, taking home 10.2 million, up from 7 million a year prior. HR boss Jane Parker saw her total compensation remain essentially flat at 5.6 million. So these are the parties. Um, they're sitting across the table from a lot of money. Um, by the way, um, trip to Disney. Um, according to their website, it's going to take you at least four days to um, tour um, Disney World in Orlando. Um, $79 a day, or um, a total package price for four days of $316 plus tax. So I think it's a pretty good money. I think that. Uh, Ed has a pretty good opportunity to sit across the bargaining table and ask for some money, considering the executives make as much money as they do. So that's about all I have on the report, Larry. If you have any questions or um, want to add to it, go ahead. Okay. Jeff, do you have any questions about the uh, the Disney uh, situation and their negotiate upcoming negotiations? Um, no, I just they. I understand that price of three hundred and some dollars a day. That's per person, right, Dave? That's correct. So it doesn't family, speak to um, children. Um, yeah, it's almost where not many people can afford to go there anymore. Um, I do wish the. Unionized members there are a lot of luck, and 
getting what they want because I would I would hot. add that if you're I would add that if you're a team leader and you attend mm-hmm. a symposium with joint training funds. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, can attend, you can attend Disney World. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You get paid for it at the same time, yeah. Yeah. A trip intended for managers shouldn't have included um, hourly workers. However, Correct. Correct. And know if you are international reps, you don't know either, trying to encourage uh, our workers to work hard give them a 30% more profit margin. Um, we'll, we'll go on from there. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that that uh, that funding comes out of the joint funds, right? Or yes. the, I'm oh, sorry. That's what the National Training the Center is. What's that? That's what the, that's what the symposium all-out letter on the call Yeah. Call letter spoke to. Yeah, yep. paid for by the National Training Center. That was General Motors National Training Center. For those who may or may not know, General Motors. Yeah, the the uh, the National Training Center has three uh, 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 departments. They're obviously the the uh, Chrysler one. We've just been hearing a lot about, and of course General Motors, and and then Ford as well. They all have a yep. national training center, and they're all headquartered uh, on Walker, uh, I believe, right on the river uh, in a building owned by Arviba. And not many people actually know that, but I have a screenshot of that um, from days gone by. And it may have changed in the last year or so, but that that was uh, as of two years ago. And then they, they sort of... Uh, made that a non-public record, so have to actually go to the mm-hmm. deed and find out now at the clerk's office, and you'd probably come under quite a bit of scrutiny because of the totalitarianism in the clerk's office, I imagine. <laughs> Jeff, do you have something? I heard you. Um, just the Ford Training Center is right between uh, Cobalt Hall and Park Plaza, right on the river there. You can't miss it. It used to okay. be the old... Veterans Administration building downtown. Oh, okay. That's where it's so I stand corrected. Yeah. So you're in a separate building than the, the big building on Walker there. Correct. Okay. Okay. I guess I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I know it's, uh, you know, all, all uh, close, in close proximity there. So, um, uh, so yeah, David, you're, you know, anything else, Jeff? No. On a, Okay, all right, David. Your report uh, uh, is a very good report, and it's indicative of what's been going on at the, uh, uh, the you know manufacturing and, and uh, retail, and you know the entertainment industry and across our country, where corporations are just have voracious appetites for profit and have no consideration for the employees seemingly whatsoever. Uh, so I was in conversation with a, a young person today. I don't even want to get away gender at this point. He's, you know, because they, they try to seek them out and, you know, impu- you know, punish them for even talking to us. But, uh, 
this person started off by saying uh, they worked for General Motors. And I says, oh, well, how long you worked there? Uh, a year. I said, oh, that's nice. Are you seniority employees? Oh, yeah, after 90 days I get seniority. I said, that's odd because I know a lot of people that are struggling, you know, three, you know, a year, year and a half, two years to get seniority status. Well, I actually work for another company and uh, somewhere else. But after 90 days, we get, you know, uh, be a member of the union and seniority status. So we get all access to all the benefits, you know, as they tear up for us. I said, oh, that's nice. So how much did you start working for at this secondary facility that supplies General Motors? Not working for, I work for a company that works for General Motors. <laughs> And uh, the person said, I started at $12.09 an hour. Real proud of that, too. And after 90 days, they got a, a dollar raise. And now they're all the way up to, I think, 13.09 and happy at a year. A uh, person has to work a second job at a fast food company to make ends meet. And the person said, uh, I'm going to get out of this job as fast as I can because they make us work far too fast. Management is far too aggressive and mean towards us. There's no fun in going to work. Now, work isn't all supposed to be about fun, but it's not supposed to be mean either. Uh, so the person is, as uh, soon as they finish their education, working two jobs and going to school, I don't know when they sleep, they are going to get out of that secondary facility. Now, perhaps if they were making $30 an hour, full benefits, and a, a union that held management to a standard that was um, respectful of the membership, they might stay but they're not going to stay uh, at $13 an hour doing uh, manufacturing work. Anybody thinks it's easy, you got another thought coming. It's not. I don't care what kind of manufacturing work you do. Even if you're the janitor, it's not easy. And Brother Dave will attest to you, being a member of the Yard Gang, that is uh, what I would expect to be a high-level maintenance job, you got a lot of scooping to do with those steel shovels, don't you, Dave? Yeah, I do. Um, we had some production workers transfer into our division, yeah. and uh, they worked a few days, got a good taste of what we really did, and uh, asked to go back to production. They didn't want any part of going into confined spaces. Um, some of them were terribly frightened of heights. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's not an easy job by any means. The janitorial, janitorial portion of it, where you clean some bathrooms, collect some trash, not so bad. But uh, when you find yourself 60 feet in the air, um, that makes some butterflies in your stomach. And when you go into confined spaces, um, that have to be sniffed before you can enter. And the bottom of a pit stirred, 
or you might find yourself in the bottom of a press ground. Um, those are some intimidating situations. And uh, those jobs um, aren't a cakewalk. The ones that uh, were associated with um, supporting skilled trades. Right, right. And uh, you alluded to the bottom of a press crown. That's a very dangerous spot to be in, wouldn't you say? Um, it's intimidating. Um, in all good humor, the first time that I was ever introduced to a um, going down into a press crown, I was working with um, a rather humorous millwright, and uh, I looked down and uh, I asked him, I said, just how do I get myself down in there? And he replied to me, he said, well, we're not really concerned about getting you down there, it's getting you back out. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not on a stretcher. (laughs) But uh, you step out gears and make your way to the bottom. What we were was support to um, clean up uh, hydraulic fluid and oil on the bottom of the press ground. And then we would um, secure that in bags. They would be brought up by rope, and then you make your way up about the same way you came down. And uh, it's very intimidating being at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, like I said, these jobs aren't easy, and and, uh, and and intimidating. You could almost put a little scary next to that. That intimidating, especially somebody that's brand new at uh, in in that department. Uh, or at that job, uh, classification. Uh, so, yeah, well, thanks for for that, David. Uh, uh, first, I, I want, before I go into my report, I want to thank everybody that's in the switchboard. We have a lot of people in the switchboard. Thank you so very much for calling in to listen. We really appreciate that. And also, uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, comments during the show uh comments basically saying uh we we hope that we can take back our union um and of course you know we aspire to do that in your interest listeners and members and thank you for li- coming in calling in and thank you for your comments during the show uh and we appreciate those very very much uh and we truly want to do the very best for you, members and listeners, uh, and raise the word union from where it's at to its rightful place of respect, and do that in a way that's progressive. Nothing's going to happen overnight, but we'll, we'll work on getting our union back, work on getting the our country back to where people can actually work one job and be able to sustain themselves. You know, this idea that people are, uh, you know, a couple uh, living together, having both having to work two jobs so they can sustain their life, and then maybe every once in a while get a weekend away uh, and do that on the skinny. Uh, you know, you'd like to think that they have some respectability in their life. So we're we're working on that, uh, and we uh, work every day to do just exactly that, to make sure 
that people in our country who work for a living, just like our caucus, and those in the UAW start making, all of you, everyone, not just the Detroit Three, start making a livable wage that you can be proud of, truly proud of. You're not supposed to have to work two and three jobs. So having said that, uh, I have a report. We're about 12 minutes before 8. I'm going to start, and we'll go until I finish. And there's going to be some people that don't like what I have to say. That's just too damn bad. First of all, we had the two indictments, and that's the second time we've had indictments this year. The first one was over $6 million in health care benefit fraud, uh, alleged. And these now, a little over a million in National Training Center funds. Dennis Williams said, quote, to be clear, these allegedly misallocated or misused NCC funds were not UAW dues, nor were they any or nor were they union funds, end quote. Later on he said, and this because he had a uh, full document that he Stated, but I'm picking a couple things out of here that rung to me, and I actually referred to them when it first came out in an interesting way. But uh, he did some things here that he didn't know that he did, I'm quite sure. And some of the people around him probably don't know what he did either. I don't know if we'll get into all of that completely this evening, but we're going to get into a little bit of it. He also said, quote, begin quote, these were monies funded by Chrysler pursuant to the collective bargaining agreement, end quote. And then later on in the document, he said, quote, the UAW has zero tolerance for corruption or wrongdoing of this kind at any level, end quote. So he said three things here. Two, basically the same, that these were not UAW dues or union funds, and that the monies were funded by Chrysler pursuant to the collective bargaining agreement. Then he said, UAW has zero tolerance for corruption and wrongdoing. Okay? We talked, I talked a little bit in the uh, opinion early in the show about totalitarianism. Totalitarianism essentially recognizes no limits to its authority. Again, the attitude and mindset of we can do anything to anyone at any time, even when illegal, and do that with absolute impunity because we can. We're in charge. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. In a dictatorship, you can. And in a closed environment, an organization where you control everything, you can. 
problem is, here in the United States, we still have some rule of law. Some. Not a lot, but some. Because some of the organizations and establishments of our illustrious government are arguably co-opted. I can point to two personal cases that I can... speak to their, uh, uh, I guess I would, would say, uh, they didn't really hold to the letter of the law. And I'll revert in saying that to my failures of a lawyer that a, a very esteemed lawyer once told me, I'm going to repeat it, said it here on the show a number of times. First is not knowing the law. Not knowing how the law applies to your case. Not knowing the facts of your case. Poor presentation. And my personal favorite, overplaying your hand. And I would refer to the first two not knowing the law or not knowing how it applies in a skewed decision, two skewed decisions that I happen to have personal interest in. Having said all of that, let's talk about our union and totalitarianism. Our union, concert with some others, went to City Council of the City of Lansing to speak for the mayor's proposal to take over Scott Park to include the Women's Historical Society facility both of which had deed restrictions on them not to be used. Scott was the first president of Oldsmobile, a revered man in this community, donated much of the east side of the current Oldsmobile facility, now General Motors Grand River Assembly, uh, to Ransom Olds so that he could build his tiny little empire. And for that, he was able to keep his home indeed restricted upon his demise. It was made into a essentially a, a, a museum. And of course the gardens, some of the people on this show have been known to go and sit in the sunken gardens that were all large rock around them and wonderful little place to sit and just relax amongst the manufacturing in the downtown of of Lansing, this little oasis. Really nice place to go eat a sandwich sometimes. Our union went down there and impressed upon the city council to overlook the deed restrictions, to take that under eminent domain and turn it into a substation for our local municipal authority. Uh, power authority called the Board of Water and Light. 
And this was done because the Eckert Power Station on the south side on the river, south side of the Grand River facility, General Motors Grand River facility, uh, is to be uh, discontinued. There is about a quarter mile, roughly, of copper bus line that runs from the top of the hill where the Scott Park is down underneath the railroad tracks and into Island Drive goes over to Eckerd Station. $4,000 a running foot. That's how much copper's in this. All that need be done was simply discontinue uh, the Eckerd side, put in about maybe four or five hundred feet of this over into the old Rio uh, spot, uh, the old Rio truck facility that's now called Rio, Rio Town, but it's on the south side of the tracks. And there's some facilities there already, but there's room for a substation in there. And they could have run a little bit of this bus line over there and had that in this place where manufacturing and industry goes. Now, subsequent to our unions going down there and making all of this totalitarian demand on the city council, this was done. They did that. They demolished that fine building and and took it over under eminent domain and disregarded the deed restrictions. A number of legal scholars have made the case that this was absolutely and abstractly illegal. I refrain from making such a statement. I will just refer to their statement. What occurred then is our illustrious union in the community is now not viewed very well because the people wanted that park, truly wanted it. The mayor has taken out three golf courses, privatized one, destroyed several parks, including this Scott Sunken Gardens Park, and he's about to go after the Moores River Park where a pool, swimming pool, called the Bentz Pool. A man from Lansing built this pool, and he built 160-some around the nation. There's four left, one in Florida, one in Wharton, Pennsylvania, and or Wharton, West Virginia might be, one of those two down there. It's real close to that tri where all three states come together, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, right in there. One in Washington, and the last one, four of them, uh, here in Lansing. There is a whole movement to try and stop this and prevent the demolition of this and give to one of the developer families to develop whatever they want to develop there on the way out for this mayor's uh, tenure. He's got about mm, five months left. They want to destroy this park and all of the sculptures around it 
in the pool. And there's a movement to have this park renovated, restored, the pool restored, so that people can enjoy this and enjoy the green space required for, for cities. You don't hear the city of New York talking about privatizing Man- uh, uh, Central Park over there in Manhattan. The parks in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, are huge parks. You're not, they're not talking about privatizing those or offering those up for developers to build buildings on. There's something awry with the government here in Lansing but our union is supporting it, and we're getting a black eye. The totalitarianism in this case has really hurt our image when we need to be building our image, not tearing it down. And that's due to a totalitarian mindset. That's the outside politic world number one that I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about the second ward in Lansing. That's the southeast side of Lansing. The current city council person goes to meetings and gets paid twenty-some thousand dollars for doing so as being elected official. Ward has been largely abandoned when it comes time for constituency work by this current city council person. This city council person has done nothing other than that Scott Park vote to help us in the union. Of course, that Scott Park vote hurt us more than it helped us. Now we have an election in the second ward and the fourth ward and at large. The second ward, let me describe it to you. Vacant buildings, vacant commercial buildings. They have a heroin epidemic in the ward that the police are having trouble managing without assistance from the elected people. There are arguably a dozen medical marijuana sites with great big signs and green all up and down Cedar Street that are not being managed regarding signage, placement, the number of nothing's being done to manage this other than what Jeff Hank just tried to do. He's not elected. Four people running for this, the incumbent, another woman, who I attempted to assist until that person told me that I was too sensitive when it came to the union bug being on her literature. And as I told uh, former AFL-CIO labor leader just on Thursday, when you disrespect that printer bug that has a lot of history with it, you don't just disrespect the printers. You disrespect each and every member of organized labor. And when you do that, you lose me. I guarantee you. And somebody said, well, 
this past week. They said, well, you just go have your reports, you this and you this, and just keep on with your reports, sort of a diminishing thing. But these reports tell you, the listeners, who and what we are and what we stand for, and we're going to continue to give them. You need to know that this speaker, labor leader, does not condone candidates who don't respect labor. That's who and what I am, and that's what this report is is partially about. So the third candidate's gentleman that that is uh, a former auditor for the city of Lansing uh, City Council, uh, he never seemed to get a lot of traction. He, he went out and did a little bit of work, but never got a lot of traction. We're close to the primary vote now, and... Uh, he is not doing well. So um, this plighted second ward has another candidate. His grandfather was a UAW member. His father was a UAW member who worked with me. And when I was in leadership in the local and at the region, in the CAP department, albeit temporary, but still the coordinator. Anytime I asked Adam Garza to do anything, he was right there. I never asked him to do anything. He was unacceptable. But Adam Garza was right there all the time. He raised his son to do the same sort of thing. Adam Garza's son, Jeremy Garza, is the fourth candidate. Jeremy Garza was raised in such a way that he had the opportunity to become a a plumber and a pipe fitter. He's currently the recording secretary for the plumber and pipe fitters here in the Lansing area. He has the endorsement of every union in the area, with the sole exception of the totalitarian UAW leadership. They did not give him the nod. Adam Garza and I have been in a lot of discussions. He was a late filer. His dad called me. He saw me out at a restaurant and said, my son's thinking about it. And we had a phone conversation the next day. So I encourage you to do what you want to do there. I'll try and do what I can to get you endorsed or at least keep uh, the endorsement open in the primary where nobody gets endorsed. And I sent that message by and through others because obviously they don't like talking to me very much around here lately because I'm pretty critical of what they're doing. But they endorsed the incumbent. Brothers and sisters, our endorsement policy needs to consider what the person has done in the past term of office. And when you abandon a whole whole ward, that's the, the whole southeast section of Lansing, virtually nothing. There's no new business, nothing. Just let it ride, you know. Laissez-faire, it's going to do what it's going to do. There's no, let's, you know, 
send out letters of interest to businesses to see if they can come in, if they have an interest in building here or there. Nothing, zero. It's plighted, plighted ward. None of the developers are doing anything other than downtown. None of them are being uh, flopped and say, hey, we'll give you this, but you got to develop this other piece as well. And the only pieces they're developing downtown, not only, but largely they're what are called TIFA, Tax Increment Finance Authority. That's where the citizens of the city pay for the developers to build the building, and then a developer owns the property. Some cases they have abated their taxes, so they're getting rents and lease monies with no taxes and no mortgage obligation whatsoever. They're getting wealthy from the citizens of the city. That's the second thing on outside politics that everybody, including the retiree chair, one of them, that spoke and said, you know, you really can't do this to us. The person lives in the, in the city. We need somebody that's going to try and help the second ward. And this was inside the UAW endorsement process. One of the most active with some of the most authority in the, in the retirement chapter spoke against endorsing or endorsing the incumbent and spoke for a good unionist, third-generation UAW member. Again, our totalitarianism, opposite the other unions, all of them, who endorsed the union guy. I might add that Team Working for a Living Platform plank, one of them is to endorse or support candidates that actually are unionists or working for a living more than academic candidates. The woman spent most of her last term of office going to school to get her master's degree. I'm not mad at her for that. She's had an obligation to the city. She collected her money and went off to school. And virtually not much else. Not much else. You can look at the district and it's horrible. Big box stores that are closed, hotels that are closed, supposedly supposed to be renovated, sitting idle. And we endorse somebody that with that sort of track record. Now, if anybody down there at Solidarity House is listening, I'm going to ask you, in this instance, take a look at this and reverse it. They're both going to survive the primary. The young unionist and the incumbent. And when it comes time to the general, I expect that our union brother be endorsed. Too late to do anything in a primary. But you need to be listening to what I just said. Because we're getting another black eye, and we can't afford too many more of these. Okay, let's talk about some more totalitarianism within our, our fine organization. 
earlier this year, an elected official attacked physically a member in a union meeting in front of little children who were present. People were angry. And this man was brought to bear by the people that witnessed and by the person that was attacked. Charges were filed on him and the president that allowed that to occur. In a totalitarian mindset, nothing's been done. It's okay to beat up members in a union meeting. We're not going to address it. Later found out that the man was a narcotic, had a narcotics felony. And he was brought. An appeal was made on that, and another appeal was made on the election, emergency appeal, and an appeal on the election. He was nominated, stood for, was elected, and took the oath of office in the face of the international and the local union, knowing full well that he was in violation of 29 U.S.C. 504. Finally, within arguably five working days before the international was going to be brought up on charges for not doing their job, as reported on this show, the man was finally removed. But we had to bring in that much pressure to make our union that much cleaner. Totalitarian mindset said it was okay to hold office even if he broke the law in doing so. And now, retaliatory charges, also violation. You look it up. You got a legal department, Dennis. Also in violation, even to affirm the charges of retaliation is a violation by any and all who did it. Retaliation on the people that held this man, a felon, narcotics felon, to account to the point where they finally enforced the law and had him removed. He's now bringing retaliatory charges, retaliation for expressing your interest in support of another candidate because you wanted somebody that didn't violate the law in office. And everybody's watching this. Not only did you allow him to hold office and be reelected to office, now you're allowing retaliatory action against those who tried to do the right thing.
you're allowing it. With a stroke of a pen, you could say, this should not be because it violates 481E even to affirm this. Oh, by the way, 481C says, member in good standing subject to 504. Implicit in that is predicated on 504 as well. So he might not even been a member in good standing bring charges. That's for others to decide. So your statement that says the UAW has zero tolerance for corruption or wrongdoing of this kind at any level, end quote, is not 100% true. First of all. Secondly, when you allow such totalitarian mindset to flourish and be reinforced, you set the environment for corruption and take in funds from places they shouldn't be taken from. Because you're saying to all of these people in this local union and all those who are watching, we can do anything we want to anybody we want to at any time, even when it's illegal, and do that with impunity. Because that's what's happening, and you know where it's happening, and you better act on it. Otherwise, your statement that you have zero tolerance for corruption or wrongdoing of this kind at any level is so much hot air, Dennis. You had good people who tried to hold our union to a higher standard that is in line with the law of our land and our Constitution, and you're allowing them to be impugned and punished. You let that happen? You go ahead. See what happens. Because we're coming, Dennis. Our caucus is coming. You see three of us, but there's a lot of us. And we're going to take over. And when we see people that are narcotics fell and holding office, we'll remove them. If they try to bring charges on somebody that helped to uphold the law, we'll simply say you can't use your will to violate yet another law that says no retaliation. You're not sending a good message, Dennis. The message that totalitarianism is allowed to flourish in this local union is permeating your UAW. And I'm going to tell you something. It will not exist under the leadership of working for a living. And we've discussed this at length. And I speak for each and every on-air and off-air member of this caucus. We will not. We 
will not tolerate such totalitarianism that allows the environment for corruption to exist. And you are. And that's why you're going to be gone. Next election, you're done. So enjoy the next 10 months and a few days. The membership is listening to this. And we've listened to the membership. And they don't like what's going on anywhere in these pockets of totalitarianism. And we we are going to take on these pockets and make all of our union be the union that it's supposed to be. There's some really good spots in our union. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good people in our union, current leadership, that are ethical and capable. But there's, unfortunately, places like this that remain and foster behaviors that cause such sort of corruption as been reported by this and announced by the Department of Justice in 2000, I'm sorry, in January 9th of 2017, July 26th, 2017, both black days on the reputation of our great union. And that's being allowed by our leadership. Our union is a great union. We all love our union. And we hope that the people and the members and the employees in Nissan understand that what was in the news this past week is not representative of our union. And those pockets that still exist, that are being allowed to exist still, are going to be excised when new leadership ascends to office in our great union. Volkswagen people, we hear you. We hear your pain. We know you were expecting $1,500 profit sharing. We understand that some got 200 and some didn't get any profit sharing. We hear your pain. And I must say, we'd have had people on the ground, working for a living, would have had people on the ground to assess this and immediately ask for certification votes so that you people start to have some protection from a union umbrella that would stop this sort of thing. Because we know very clearly virtually every one of you are sickened by what happened at Volkswagen in Chattanooga this past week ago. And you would love to have UAW come in. We'd love to represent you. Timing is everything, and our leadership, again, has missed the ball. You swung and you missed twice. This one would have been a home run. Okay, having said that, that's my report. I'll ask for comments or questions from Jeff first. Jeff? Yeah, good, good report. 
do a good report. They agree with you 100%. Thank you, Jeff. I know the other members that are not on air also, as you know, they you know, expressed that as well. So thank you. Mm-hmm. David? Um, nothing I would like to add, Leroy. A very good report. Okay. Thank you very much. I want to thank all of our team for supporting what I just said. Uh, it's never easy to come on and criticize in such a way an organization that you dearly love. But it needs to be said because this needs to change. And the members have said they want change. Only a few Kool-Aid drinkers posting stuff that wasn't true. We'll get I would like more to of that. add to that, Leroy. Go ahead, Joe. Or David, I'm sorry. Um, I've witnessed these um, comments from members. Um, they seem to suffer from what we've discussed before, Stockholm Syndrome, where you become beholden to your captor and embrace their um, ideology. Um, what's being looked at is a former member of management and a former member of the UAW leadership. And it's not indicative of the entire body of the United Auto Workers Union. And I don't feel that anyone should support what took place. All of you making these comments know better. It was wrong. And that's something that isn't to be worshipped. That's all I have to say, Leroy. Right. Those comments are few and far between, though. You know, those were in defense of the statement. And the statement, there's more to that. There's more to that. You know, the... Go ahead. Most of them come from currently um, elected staff or formerly. Right. Yeah, it's... It's fine, you know. We, you know, it's fine to hold their opinion, but you can't condone this kind of stuff. And the statement that was made in defense of this is just simply, in large part, untrue. Okay. You see, I'll go there. Why not? You said no dues and no union funds were been part of this. There is a section. You turn into your legal department. I'm not going to be quoting a law tonight. It's two sections, actually. Let's say no union, no company may offer or give a union anything of value. There's some limits on that. So you can give modest amounts, but not much. You just said that all of these funds 
are from being funded by the corporation. Of course, if you really think about what you said, that violates the National Labor Relations Act. And then on the other side of it, Dennis, we look at the contract and we see two types of funding, one local and one national, that comes out diverted before this would be otherwise be money in the you know, members' pockets, the active worker member pockets, but it's diverted ahead of their paycheck into the joint funds, either locally or nationally. And at the national level, those joint funds go into the pool, go into the pool, arguably, with management funds, and then those become that third entity that you keep talking about, owned uh, by jointly, that's supposed to be funded by joint funds, provision in the early 80s. Okay, so um, that's uh, uh, something that's arguably dues dollars, not dues dollars, but union funds, because these get diverted as union funds that then go into this National Training Center Joint Funds Program. So what you're saying is, one hand, it's you're saying the corporation funds it all, and that's in violation of the National Labor Relations Act. On the other hand, you're saying no dues dollars. Of course, the contract says that there's some diverted money that go into these joint funds, and those become union funds before they go there. Because you have to have a portion you can't just say those were all management funds because joint fund program, its authority, said that funds have to come from the union and from management to fund this little entity. So, you know, you really made a big mistake in saying all this. I don't know who puts your statement together for you, but really opened yourself up for a lot of stuff here, Dennis. And we're critical. Section 7 of you. For this statement. So, having said that, we're long now. Let's close this out. There's uh, a lot of lot of stuff going on at the top, and people need to see through this. The National Training Center exists under the Joint Funds Authority. Monies from union and management are required to be in it for it to exist. It is a separate entity. We have union people being paid there now, don't we? International staff and other staff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the ability to abuse it with no oversight, or little oversight. As one person put it, very esteemed, highly knowledgeable, well-respected individual said, other people were mentioned, and it appears 
that the credit cards were liberalized. Hmm. So, yeah, you put in some, you know, safeguards after the fact. And, you know, you've had two of these this year, Dennis. In your totalitarian mindset, we can do anything to anyone at any time, even when illegal, and do that with impunity permeates many pockets of our union, and you need to stop it. If you can't, we will, because we will stop it. Okay? When we get there. All right. Having said that, that's enough for tonight. I want to thank David and Jeff, all the listeners. Uh, I want to thank all our listeners around the world, friends in Canada and Mexico listening, all of our union listeners and non-union listeners across our wonderful country. Stay strong. We'll get through this. Like the quote said, Sometimes bad things have to happen before good things can. Thank you for your support and your input. We hear you, and we're coming. Listeners, good night. Stay safe. Have a wonderful upcoming week. Have some fun if you're on vacation. It's going to be August pretty soon, so, uh, you know, that is vacation season even for, for uh, notwithstanding that we have to take the fourth, uh, first two weeks of July off in vacation. There's still some vacation time left or even some long weekends. So have some fun between now and next Sunday, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, good night, David. Good night, Jeff. Good night, listeners. Good night, night everyone.